This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and about six years ago, I started Self Work in order to extend the walls of my practice so that people could better understand what exactly therapy is, how to approach any kind of mental or emotional problem you might be having and anything else I could think of that might be helpful. I'm so glad you're here. I've received messages from many of you concerning my upcoming surgery. One arrived literally a few hours after I had announced it on self-work. So I want you to hear. Hi, Dr. Margaret. This is Brandy, and I listen to you every Friday. And I just wanted to thank you for your latest episode on maybe it's depression, maybe it's not. It was so insightful, and I just think it's such a great application to so many parts of life. And thank you for giving me something really deep to think about today. You always do. And I wanted to especially say good luck to you on your surgery. I hope all goes well and know that there are so many of us out there who are sending you prayers and good vibes and hoping that you'll be back at it soon. Thanks for everything you do, Dr. Margaret. Bye-bye. It's messages like this that make me very determined to get back to this mic as soon as I can. I'm hoping at this point that that will be mid-January. But I'm so excited about the guest hosts we're featuring. Everyone from celebrated podcasters like Lewis Howes, to incredible therapist Shauna Springer and Kimberly Quinlan, to highly successful business coach Ashley Stahl. All will be presenting to you in their own fashion. In fact, Lewis is going to send over his interview with me. (laughs) So that ought to be fun for you to hear. There will also be interviews that I've done with some wonderful authors and maybe a couple of special choices by Christine and John, who are my team and my friends. I guess they're my people. (laughs) So there's going to be lots to experience here at Self Work in the next few weeks. Sometimes when I choose people to interview for self-work, it's because something strikes me about them, rather than the more traditional route of hearing from a publicist via email who wants me to consider someone's research or latest book. And Jill Kaplan is one of those people. She's the brilliance behind Lessons from the Minivan, which is an account on Instagram. She's really funny, a little snarky, but she always makes me laugh. And laughter is such an important part of anyone's day. But I was curious about her backstory. And what you're going to hear today is that story. It's one with not only emotional abuse and struggles, but huge medical hills to climb. Jillian is a published author, an attorney, a freelance writer. She's been a coach for college applications, also a college professor and a small business owner. She has done a lot in her life. She also wants you to know she's an autoimmune warrior, and I'll let her tell you more about that, and a mother of three. Again, she's lessons from the minivan on Instagram, and I just love what she posts. So today, you're going to get to meet Jill Kaplan. But first, let's hear from Ozark Mountain Medicine and their CBD products. Since it's gotten cold, I really have had to use them, and they are great help. 
diagnosed with degenerative disc in my back when I was in my 20s. I've long been a seeker of alternative ways to help reduce inflammation, and I can't believe that the best product I've ever found is produced here in Northwest Arkansas. Ozark Mountain Medicine, located on a small boutique farm in the Ozark Mountains under the careful watch of CBD guru Bill Morgan, is a grassroots operation which produces some of the highest quality CBD available on the market. Unlike marijuana, which contains THC, which is what makes it mood-altering, CBD isn't the same and is legal in all states. Ozark Mountain Medicine's products contain at least 16 varieties of hemp, where other CBD products may use only one. Think of it as a healing gumbo for your joint and muscle aches, and you've got the picture. What's most important to me and to you is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my life that I needed to be reassessed for back surgery, and three times I've kept walking, getting massages, and for the last three years, steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form, or calming salves are available, which is what I prefer. The other benefits of taking it include immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's their fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work, and you'll receive 10% off your order. I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. That code again is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash self-work. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose. So try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself. So now, self-work brings to you Jill Kaplan. All right, I want to introduce to self-work listeners Jill Kaplan, and I know very little about Jill, (laughs) except she's the host of Lessons from the Minivan on Instagram, and I have just been drawn to her and her work, probably because I think, frankly, as I was sitting around talking about it and thinking about it, I just thought, it's your laughter, it's it's your, your, the humor you bring to so many people's lives, almost a hundred thousand at this point. So I can't wait to hear your story and we'll just go with the flow and see what happens. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited to, to talk and not that many people ask about the backstory um, to lessons from the minivan and why I am the way I am. I, I love entertaining people and a writer at heart and I've always wanted to be a writer uh, my parents discouraged me, and I became a lawyer, which is still a writer. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's one piece of me. Um, I stopped practicing law about 10 years ago because I am autoimmune. I talk about that a lot. Yes. Um, and I eventually got too sick to keep up with the deadlines and the high pressure of being an attorney. So I had to retire. But my brain still works. I started with a disease called ulcerative colitis. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, sure. Like Crohn's. And I just, I, you know, honestly, I ignored it. I just had no time. I needed to be an attorney. I needed to um, be a, a wife. I needed to do all the things. I was only 22, but I was. Um, wow. I was 22. I was not married, but I did get engaged shortly after. And there weren't any good medicines around. So I was taking the medicines, but I was still really sick. And from there, I had, I had two children while I was that sick. And 
Yeah. And it was supposed to go into remission, but it does not. So I had my my son, Alex, and then... They told you me- pregnancy would cause it to go into remission? Yes. Oh, okay. But some people it doesn't and everything about me is pretty rare so i had had him it was not a planned pregnancy but it was still we were very celebrated and then when he turns 13 months i got pregnant with my daughter caitlin and that was really hard on my body i had been on the pill and the doctor suddenly said oh that's not a good mode of protection for you because you don't have proper absorption but my body really really took a toll and I just couldn't stop napping, couldn't barely drag myself out of bed. And everyone said, oh, well, you got two babies. But it was the colitis just, sure. just dragging me down. It was on steroids. It made me cranky. Um, and this is all before lessons from the minivan. I was still practicing law. Um, with my second one, I backed off a little bit practicing because I was working every other day and then had the two kids every day and I just couldn't do it. It was my own law firm as well. So we thought we'd start our own business and have a family way later. But instead we started our own business and then the family came. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah. And then I just, I couldn't, I couldn't even keep up with my days. So I stayed home with the kids, which was fine because when you're home with children and you're sick, it's not easy. It's very hard, but you don't have to get dressed up to go somewhere or prepare for a meeting. Right, right. Plus, I loved being a mommy. Ah. I loved being home with them. I loved playing with them. When they were two and four years old, we had relocated from... Um, Fairfax to Vermont, my ex-husband's hometown, which was a huge mistake. But his parents were offering to buy us a house. And we had the two babies and our own firm. And we were financially drowning. So it sounded like something sounds too good to be true. It often is. (laughs) (laughs) So we lived there and the in-laws had a lot of control over us, including the house. And my ex-husband and I, he was my husband then, really drew apart. I didn't know. I'm so extroverted because I'm from Long Island and he's from Vermont, which is an introverted place. Mm -hmm. And he had kept a lot of family secrets from me. And I was 31. And um, by 32, I needed to have my large intestine out altogether. Oh, my gosh. It's called a total proctocolectomy. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, it was killing me. I weighed something like 87 to 89 pounds. I couldn't eat. I had no strength to walk. And I'm basically crawling after my two and four-year-old. So I was all on board to to do this. My ex-husband made a hard time. And this is where we started having problems that I do allude to with gaslighting and him telling me I'm not sick. And instead, I have Munchausen's. Oh, my gosh. So he still does that to this day. And it's it was really hard. You know, it's really hard to be so sick with a weird disease to begin with. For people who don't know who, what Munchausen's is, it's basically in its official form. It's when someone is causing someone else to be sick. And yet that's that's a secret. And so they believe that illness is is correct. But it's really Munchausen syndrome by proxy when you're doing it to yourself then, you know, that's Munchausen syndrome, but it's rare. So 
it's rare and you need to be diagnosed by a you know a psychologist or a psychiatrist and and going through all this i had a ton of anxiety i was never diagnosed with this because when you have munchausen's you can't make your colon fail you can complain about it you can say it's happening sure but you can't make it happen and so so i'm battling him all the time Every time a child gets sick, he says, I have Munchausen's by proxy. He, it, he's so far out there. Yet, he says it enough and loud enough that the kids start to wonder. So meanwhile, my body's failing. I have the doctors talk to him about, your wife needs surgery. She's very sick. And he says, well, she hasn't really tried yoga. And they, they laughed at him. They're like, yoga? Peston <laughs> <laughs> is breaking. It's about to explode. So I didn't have any support. And in fact, I was fighting him. And I went in. I had this surgery. My mom came with me. And it was a six-hour surgery. They take out your large intestine. They can hook it up. Make what's called a J pouch, where they pull down the small intestine and hook it up to the rectum, but they don't do that right away. They leave you with a bag, an ostomy bag. Mm-hmm. So I woke up in the hospital. My mom was there. Uh, the ex-husband had left because he also felt sick, and I just felt like I was a mess. I mean, I looked down. There was a bag on my stomach and stitches everywhere, and and the things on my leg. And I thought of all my responsibilities. And that I really needed a divorce. And he became really, really emotionally abusive from that point on. Hmm. So there's all this struggle in me, which has made me, I think, snarky. If you look at some of my work, it's a little snarky. So I've got sentimental stuff and some straight up happy sentimental stuff. And then a lot of times I'm just straight up snarky. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and I will advise people, you know, a lot of times I'll talk about abuse saying, if you're thinking about it, you probably ought to look into this. And I'll provide a number in my DMs. And I get so many DMs from people that were in a situation just like me. You do. I bet you do. And so I, I help advise them to, you know, I'm not, I would. My, I have a degree in psychology undergrad, undergraduate, but I'm not a psychologist, so I can't ever tell anybody what to do. But I do say, you know, I think that you need to talk to a divorce lawyer or, you know, you need to get help. Get or some sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's really violent. It's not a question. Like, here's the number you need to leave, like now, because they're getting hurt. And then I'll get feedback again, like a year later from people saying, I left and you were so helpful to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just talking to me because several dms back and forth of he did this again he did that again and i don't think he's going to change and i'm writing he, he's not because now that i'm on the other side of it i can clearly see what's narcissistic and sociopathic so i do write about that as well mm-hmm. so that's sort of my dark side okay but it does sound like people are 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 influenced by what you're saying and Mm -hmm. you know i got my first entry into this world of mental health or whatever um by volunteering at the domestic violence shelter in dallas and so you know i know not all women can leave it's a complicated issue because there can be danger upon leaving as well and so absolutely you know that's a it's a very serious decision to make i don't i don't want us to sound like we're saying oh yeah just leave just leave you know because no you can't leave they don't have money that so the situation i was in Mm -hmm. um was 
no, I wasn't being pummeled to death. There was not a, a physical situation, a little bit. And there had been calls by neighbors about domestic problems. And when the police came over, that happened twice. When the police came over, he would just drive away. And we'd call him and need him to come back. And I would be bruised from some altercation with him. And not only did I not want to report it, although there is a report, um, I couldn't believe this was my life. Yes. I have three children, and my three children were just standing around me looking like mommy and daddy are fighting again, but why are the police here? And so it was so hard for me to leave to admit that this was happening, and I made a lot of excuses saying, well, you know, daddy just gets mad and storms off, and then things calm down. Mm-hmm. And I used to let him really lay into me emotionally just to get that. I mean, it's just so bad what I was doing. It was bad for myself. It was bad for my children. But I think if he just raged at me, and I, I'd yell back, but then he would be done raging. Mm-hmm. We separated and divorced. I had the kids full time. And sometimes they saw him and not always all at once. But what he started doing when the girls were, t- he probably did it. My first one is a boy. And then I have two girls. Mm-hmm. He probably tried it with my son. It didn't work. When my girls were teens, we were clashing. You know, it's like they turned 15 and all of a sudden, where is my wonderful child? Oh, oh the eye rolling. That that starts at like 11. Yeah. And you kind of think it's cute then, but then it turns into serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he they would go to his house and he would say, oh, when I lived with mom, she gave me headaches too. You've got to get out of there. It's a terrible place and she's abusive. And then he'd start with this Munch Jones's by proxy. You're not, don't have any illness, even if they did. Like my daughter has migraines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your mom bullies doctors into treating you. And this weird thing that I'm saying that probably sounds outrageous to anybody listening. If you're a kid and you hear it long enough and loud enough, and he's so, um, so much conviction, then they take it on themselves like wait maybe that is what's happening and any little kernel of truth can be spun into not true things so basically he was alienating my two daughters from me and i don't talk about that often there's a thing called parental alienation alienation syndrome yeah so he's done that with two of my girls my two girls and they still are mad at me and when i talk to them when i get to talk to them and say what is it They'll say one thing that's true and several things that never came out of my mouth. Like, mommy doesn't think you're pretty. Mommy doesn't think you're smart. And he's saying this and they're believing it. That part of me comes out in lessons from the minivan. Because I had this whole great life with my kids and I write about that. Mm -hmm. I write about the good times. I write about the snarky times. But I don't write about being alienated. Some of that stuff is coming from there and no matter how great a mom I, I am or was or this, this breaks my heart this is this is a thing about me that just I felt like I had to say it no I'm, I'm I'm glad we can talk about it I I think that there are a lot of people that are either estranged for their children parents that are estranged for their children or there have been there's been such a rift between um, an ex and and, a, and someone that those pe- those people are alienated on purpose, um, and so very intentionally. And it, I'm I'm happy to go there. I mean, I think that it's something that there will be people who will be nodding their heads and go, "Yes, this happened to my sister," or "Yes, this happened to my brother," or mm-hmm. 
you know, or it's happening to my son or daughter. I mean, or it's happening to me. So that is, it's very, very sad. And it's hard to believe. It's hard to know how to go forward. It really is. So first of all, it's hard to believe that it's happening at all because you think, well, they know me, but it could be little by little. So it was just, that's a, a deep, dark thing in my life. Oh, I'm so and sorry to hear that. Thank you. And going about it is tough because if they don't want to talk, they're not going to talk. So I'll write letters sometimes. I'm blocked from texting. And I just hope that when they're 25, 26, 27, everything comes together. But I feel like she's starting to hear me. And maybe, you know, when she had said to me, you know, you said I'm not pretty enough. You said I'm not smart enough. I just looked at this absolutely stunning child. I mean, she's physically stunning. And I said, I could never say that because it's not true. You know, even if even if we didn't like each other, you are a stunning person. I mean, she gets stopped in the street. She has beautiful long red hair. And it's just like, you're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And in terms of smart, she just graduated from an Ivy League school. So, no, I, I never said things like that. Like, just think if that makes sense. And she cries on the phone. And then, but then she's still mad because there's other little things. I don't even know what to combat. And when you're estranged and you're combating, it's so important not to attack the ex, the one that's doing this. Because yes. the second you badmouth him or her, you lose the kid because they're very, very loyal to that person. And I've talked to my own psychologist who said to do things like reach out and write a letter or send a gift. And so I have sent gifts and know that it's been gotten. I have actually had to send it to a friend of mine because originally when I was sending gifts to the house, where he is, even though um, they're in school and he's supposed to deliver it, it was never delivered. Okay. And I can know these things from my son who I talked to or from a reaction or from friends around. It never got there. So then I started sending things to my my um, best friend of the mom and my daughter's best friend of the child. And then the gifts were received. And I got even the reaction. So I feel like if they have stuff for me, they know deep down that I love them. But the psychologist for me told me that I just have to live my life and that, you know, life is long and that they'll find their way back to me if I'm not constantly hounding them. Mm-hmm. That kind of patience is hard, but I would agree with, with them, whoever it is, a he or her or they, um, that, you know, that, that time is important. And But I, I also understand what you're saying is that sometimes – too much time can feel even dangerous. Um, yeah, it's really complicated. And I have uh, known both personally and professionally about a lot of instances where a strain which can happen for a long period of time or mm-hmm. alienation. And then, like you say, with enough time and then those things are healed and, and, whatever perspective you heard the most of, all of a sudden you realize as you lead your own adult life, wait a minute, no, perspective is our reality, but it's not necessarily everybody's reality. And and so I need to look at this from a different, you know, from a different attitude or different perspective. So what has Lessons from the Minivan meant to you? What made you start it? I started Lessons from the Minivan because I was always making these little quips. I guess my kids were tired of hearing my 
little jokes, but they were funny and they're the things that I put out there. And I started using Instagram and my daughter and her friend, uh, she's a minor and her friend, but it was very cute, sat me down and had an intervention with the way that I'm using Instagram. I can't just put my stuff out there like that. It's not right. My hashtags were all wrong. So I'm like, you know what, you guys, I know they were like 14 years old. I had a whole diagram of what I'm doing wrong and that I'm writing at night and I should be getting sleep. And then the friends had a whole thing about sleep and how I need sleep. And I'm like, you know what, you guys, you have like created this intervention that is not needed. I'm just going to start my own thing and I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. And this way I won't be under my regular name, Yeah, which is what was happening. And their friends were friends with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So, yeah, they were embarrassed. But I wasn't saying anything. I was pretty much saying the lessons from the minivan. So I changed it to lessons from the minivan because when my kids were in the car when they were younger, I always felt like I was learning something. Mm-hmm. And they talk amongst themselves. And when you're driving a car with your children in it and your children's friends, they completely forget you're there. Oh, it's yeah. Like, um, listen. i'm like a chauffeur and unless they want a snack or need someone to solve some debate they don't care that you're there and they talk about everything and i'm sitting here like what she's dating him and they're in seventh grade you know and then if i interrupt the flow they'd be like shh my mom's here but generally i keep my mouth shut and my ears open and some of the things that my children have said in the car, also out of the car, have been hysterical. And so I was originally thinking I need to write a book called Tales from the Minivan. Mm -hmm. But the Tales from the Minivan was taken as a name, so I just went to lessons. Uh And I love the name of it because it's coming from life, too, you know, whatever they do. So the stuff that I replay of my kids' conversations with me or with each other, they're all real. Hmm. And and it's so fun. I love being a mommy. I thought it was funny then. And so I share it with other people because it's regular conversations that sure. that, that they're having or questions. Like the other day I posted one about um, my child wanted to be closer to the other children in age because I've got two really close together and then one six years later. And her answer to me was, I didn't try hard enough to have her <laughs> earlier. <laughs> So, you know, and then in the caption, I wrote time for a biology lesson. But it's, <laughs> so it's it's like that. It's these things that crack me up. And I, I have to kind of keep a straight face because she's mad because they're off. They're older. They get to go places and do things. And, and she doesn't. And so, you know, all that stuff is real. All the stuff I talked about earlier about, you know, reaching out mm-hmm. is real. And then I have a third section, which talks about being disabled. Yes. And. I am what ha- I have what's called invisible illness. So you look at me, I look fine. If I don't look fine, I'm probably in bed and you cannot see me. Right. There's a lot of things that happen when you have ulcerative colitis that are not related to your gut. For example, your SI joints in your back really hurt. They develop arthritis in there. Mm-hmm. You can get kidney problems. You can get eye problems. My liver has failed more than once some of the medications I'm getting. Oh my gosh. And, and the idea is if you take out the colon and you don't have colitis, although I still do, but you supposedly just don't have it anymore, then all those side effects will go away. Will not with me. 
those side effects raged and raged on. I did get the S, uh, the J pouch, so I didn't have to wear the ostomy bag more than three months. They were successful in making me look normal, but but you're not normal. I mean, you're an I've organ broke with ostomy bags, and it's really tough, really, really tough, really tough. I mean, I really thought it wouldn't hurt at all, but my guts literally hurt out of my body. And the ostomy bag, a special ostomy nurse, comes to your house and shows you how to. Put it on, take it off. You got to get it on right. So, and then the bag holds gas and stool, so that can be really embarrassing. It makes a lot of noises. And although I was starting to feel better, cleaning what's called the stoma, the skin on your body is burning from the acidic stool. So I couldn't wait to get rid of it. I had a very hard time with it. Gosh. And then being 30, 31, was it? I was thirty-two. I was embarrassed. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine. I'm really embarrassed. I I have worked with people who've had them, and they've had them on in the session, and we've had to talk about it, and and they're just very open about this is, you know. This is your life. Saves your life. My life, yeah. And I I think all of them have been able to get the the reversal, um, but but uh, there are people that do not and cannot. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. those are really people who need our support and understanding. they really do. And, and the truth is, nobody can see it when you're in clothes. I just want to be very clear. It's not like you would walk around and say, oh, that's all with an Aussie bag. You can't see it if you're an outsider, except maybe at the beach. But And that's only really in a two-piece, because I wore one piece, and it was just a little bigger on me. But you can't see it. But the person that has it feels it. Oh, that's yeah. the bigger problem. Like You think other people can see, but they can't. You feel like you're being judged, but people don't know. But the noises it makes are terrible. Mm-hmm. And then I felt a, like a subpar human. I had to have my knuckles. One had no knuckle in it. That's how severe the arthritis is. So I've got this arthritis called spondyloarthropathy that goes with Crohn's and colitis that never stopped. Then I developed rheumatoid arthritis. And I suddenly have developed osteoarthritis, even though I'm too young for it. But my bones look like I'm 78. And so, so what do you do with your sense of anger or bitterness or <laughs> anything like that? Where, where so that's interesting. That's a great question. A long time ago, so I'll, I'll list my, I have chronic migraines, which came before all this, ulcerative colitis, which to the extent that it's still there. Um, I'll just, arthritis altogether, even though it's several types, fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. So here's what I do with the anger. I don't have it. I don't have it at all. Um, my son has Crohn's and he got it when he was 10. And it was really great that I was his mom because yeah. I could help him. And now as a young adult, he's healthy and well and doesn't go binge drinking. He just eats good things. Where when I got it, I was a, a kid. I was out drinking and smoking and doing bad things for my body and did not want to quit. Uh, at first, I wasn't angry. I was ignoring it like it's just got to get better it's just got to go away when it was clear it wasn't going to and i had the two children and especially when you have children to live for and it's not just you you're no longer part that partying kid anymore you know i I had a hopefully not business no that's and then you become an alcoholic or a true substance abuser so i didn't have any of those those desires it was never a problem it was just a fun thing to do and what about now I'm not angry. So what I think is not why me, but why not me? Mm-hmm. So I have a body 
and it's it's broken. And so I've accepted that it's broken. And, and I've written about this in Lessons from the Minivan, that chronic illness mm-hmm. is forever. Chronic means forever. And I've accepted it. The one thing I had to change wasn't so much anger, but determination to not let my body run things. And that just made it a lot harder. Harder in what way, Jill? Well, say I was really tired and I needed to sleep. I would push myself okay. to not sleep. You and I was given medication. You were working against your body. Absolutely. I was given medicine to stay up. I was actually given Adderall for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And that started hurting my heart. And I remember my son saying, that could give you a heart attack. Be careful with that. And that, I just didn't want to be on it, but it would make me go, 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 go. So when I wasn't on it, my body crashed so hard that I literally couldn't open my eyes. It wasn't work against myself and get out of bed. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't pull the covers up over me. I couldn't even open my eyes. So I learned through several knockdowns or slapdowns of my body that now I just honor my body. I really do. And so there are some days that I'm typing from bed and some days that um, I just have things on a timer because it's a bad day. And so you can release your your posts as as scheduled so what makes you laugh now you make other people laugh what makes you laugh i crack myself up i'll say um but what makes me laugh is my boyfriend um jake who i live with now Mm -hmm. um he cracks me up too he's super supportive of everything and so when i'm sick i have the opposite um in terms of support he's the first one to say go lie down and he brings me food in bed and takes care of me, which actually makes me get better sooner. Sure, of course. So he makes me laugh. Um, my oldest son, I, I do see, and he cracks me up. Um, life cracks me up. Like, I'm happy to be alive. So it's the little things that make me laugh. I've got a dog. My parents are nearby. <laughs> what a wonderful attitude, really. Thank you. I, I just... I didn't have room because I have a lot of anxiety, too. I have a lot of what ifs. I just didn't have room for the hate. Yeah. So, gosh, I'm glad I asked for the backstory because it's an important <laughs> one. It's an important one. And it reminds me of a lot of people that, you know, don't know. Um, oh, I don't know why Robin Williams is coming to mind because he had. Yeah. So things. But, you know, people seem surprised when he. You know, this darker part of his life tended to emerge with his with his ending his own life. And yet, mm-hmm. I, you know, there are a lot of people who make people laugh or who are helpers or whatever that are struggling with their absolutely own physical chronic illness or mental illness or whatever. And I think when when we figure out, wait a minute, I need to, I need to ask, what's the other What's your the other part of your life like? Mm-hmm. And I will say that I have felt suicidal before. It was after I had gotten COVID. And they, they say there's some part that affects your brain. Because instead of me just handling things nicely, I was thinking, what's the point? Um, and really not wanting to live. Really just not wanting to wake up tomorrow. And it happened then and then it happened another time right after I got COVID again. Um, and I was thinking about my life with my kids and it made me feel so dark. Like there was just nothing to live for if this was going to be going on yet all the time I'm writing the funny memes, even while I'm feeling like this. And, um, I do talk about 
you know, if you feel suicidal, here's a number or whatever. But I never said that I have felt that way. Mm-hmm. But I might have said it like once, but it's not part of me. How do you feel about talking to me about it? I feel like it's important to talk to you about it. I feel like it's important. When you brought up Robin Williams, I wanted to bring that up, too. It's not something that's on my mind a lot, but I know how dark people can get. And you get into a dark place. And I do write about that a lot. Getting into a dark place, needing time for yourself. It's okay to have help. I especially talk about it in the postpartum world. But I talk about it just, do you, you know, if I see you. I, one of my memes says, I see you taking up the smallest space in the closet, in the kitchen, taking the last piece always and maybe eating it over the sink. And that, there was a little more to that quote. I just can't remember it. But the flooding of DMs and messages saying that's me. And then I wrote in the caption, women are self-abandoning and this is not okay. It's become the norm. It's become expected. I'm glad that your voice is out there and pointing it out because I, there are plenty of mommy memes and that kind of thing. But there was something about yours that I always went, I really want to talk with this woman because there's something here that I want to touch on. And I should mention your last name. It's Kaplan. Yes, it is. Thank you so very much for today. And I'm glad I asked you to scratch the surface because I'm sure what you have to say will be very helpful. But I appreciate meeting you. This has been wonderful. You're welcome. I appreciate it, too. Thank you so much, Jill, for sharing your story with self-work. I'm sure many of you have also been through very nasty divorces like Jill's, with children often siding with one parent or another, and that can be really tough. In fact, last week, for those of you who might be interested, the podcast was on parental alienation and estrangement, so you might want to check that out. If you're in the U.S., I hope you've had a wonderful and meaningful Thanksgiving weekend. Please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.